we invite you to this coming week's message of Good Theology, a podcast ministry of the Good Theology Project, a mission of ministry to seek, sow, and spread God's kingdom of love here on earth. We cannot wait for someone else to do later what God has already called us to do here and now. To learn more about the Good Theology Project, visit us online at goodtheology.life. Grace and peace to you, uh, our friends and family of Good Theology. So this week we actually had a really interesting question come in from one of our listeners. She asked, "What um, if we were to do like a DreamWorks or Disney movie, what would we have as to play the role of God? Like what character, how would we make God look and sound and things like that? And it was a great question because when we think of God, you, you know, like and how divinities are kind of uh, portrayed in movies particularly movies for kids there's there's always this like zeus figure that comes forward or um the tree from uh pocahontas or um uh uh the the dad in the lion king um mustafa right like so, so like um there's like where he's the um in the clouds, right? They're these godlike images that we get. And we were thinking on this and we actually came to the to, to the decision what if because really there isn't enough Trinitarian, there isn't enough Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the way that we think about God. And so kids get this weird message that God is not weird in that God is one, but they don't see plurality they don't see the breath of how god exists in all things around us acts in multiple ways you know the power of god is confined to the way that we imagine god and so if we were to do i we're thinking about this and if we were to do a a movie a disney movie or a dream work something like that and portray god we would actually have a threefold character portray god we would have one character be um, a more traditional human type of figure. We would have one figure that had a more um, uh, in the clouds type um, ethereal presence. And then we'd have one that would be, you know, like when the leaves were moving from Pocahontas, um, that more you can't really see it, but you can sense it and you know that it's there. And we would, we would recommend that the producers of the movie find a way to make them sort of speak as if they were one that there be some kind of reinforcement that god is trinitarian that this idea that this identity that we that kids perceive god of as being this one personality that that's a little narrow and that the option to see god in this greater way is really possible even for little kids so it was a really great question we're really glad that that our listeners sent it in so thank you very much now, uh, before we read scripture for this week, let's go ahead and do as we always do, center ourselves and our intentions. Hmm. Our ears to hear you, our eyes to see you, our behavior to share you. Glory be to you, God, source of all being, incarnate word and Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So this week, our readings uh, come from... First Peter chapter three verses eighteen to twenty-two, and the Gospel of Mark, um, 
chapter 1, verses 9 through uh, 13. So, First uh, Peter, for Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight people, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. And the Gospel of Mark. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth, the of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up and out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, and with you I am well pleased. And the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts and the angels waited on him. Those are the readings that we have for today, and we chose two for uh, a special reason. So, Welcome to Lent. <laughs> if you are new to the Christian tradition or have never participated in Lent before, this will be a whole new experience for you. You see, Lent is the 40 days before Easter. Well, okay, so if you're trying to do the math, technically it's 46, but we, we don't count Sundays. Um, now, Lent may not feel like it's rooted in Scripture because there isn't some great text where Jesus says, like, go fast from chocolate or soda um, <laughs> or caffeine for, like, 40 days before my resurrection. Um, but actually, there is some real scriptural basis for what we do in Lent. And... It's rooted in the gospel that we actually just heard today. After his baptism, but before his ministry begins, Jesus is driven out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And if you're following along, yes, that's God leading himself into the wilderness for 40 days. And in these 40 days, Jesus was tempted by Satan. Satan is actually a Hebrew word, and it means adversary. An adversary that uh, had evolved over time from just a general spiritual adversary into the very antithesis of our created purpose, and thus become the great adversary, Satan himself, right? And also in those 40 days, Jesus was with the wild beasts. And not those kinds of beasts you ever sacrifice to God on the altar. No, these are wild beasts that are out there, right? Because for first century Jews, for fifth century BC and all of those, they, they literally would like take animals and put on the altar as sacrifice. So these were not those holy creatures. These were wild animals of the wild. The wild animals that exhaust and frustrate you, that are uncontrollable, impure, or 
and yet are also living creatures of God and God's creation, which you are their steward for, and Jesus is also their Lord, whether they knew it or not. I hope that resonates a little bit with all of you in terms of if there are wild beasts you know. And then finally, in these 40 days, Jesus had divine messengers of God ministering to him, being with him to bolster and be there, to provide prophecy and counsel, to aid in time of need. That sounds like real life to me. My whole life is adversary and temptation, living amongst the wilds of culture and creation, and holding on to divine support for all it can muster, all in preparation for that moment when I can walk out of the wilderness and Jesus can start saving creation. And that is Lent. It's a spiritual boot camp before Easter. So I say to you again, welcome to Lent. Now drop and give me 20. Just kidding. Well, but okay, but like Lent is a spiritual boot camp, right? So like now that we're here, what do we do, right? I mean, we only get that one line in Mark where he was tempted for 40 days. And then in four, verse 14, it picks up right at John's arrest and Jesus in ministry. So what is the opportunity of Lent? What should we be doing with this time we have, this time in the wilderness? To answer that question, let's actually look to our text from 1 Peter. Because that answer actually lies in the truths about our baptism. You see, before Lent became a, a normal part of the church year, before Easter, this extended fasting period um, was actually something individuals did in preparation for their baptism. And baptism deals with water, and water that wipes out all sins harkens back to Noah. You see, it's all connected. What happens out there in the world, what we read in Scripture, and what we do here in church, is all connected. You see, whatever you do, in Lent, and I use that word do very specifically. Whatever it is, it should be something that prepares you to embrace your own spiritual conscience. It should stretch you so that when Jesus rolls up and says, your Uber is here, now go out and feed some people, plant a church or change the world, you don't reply with, hold on please, I need to go to the bathroom first, get my shoes and pack my bag. When Easter comes, you want to already be out there in the world, limber and agile from this spiritual boot camp, so that you're not pulling a proverbial spiritual muscle when you meet with real adversity, challenge, and frustration. Now, now I get it's hard to think about Lent and spiritual development when we tra traditionally think of Lent as fasting from things like caffeine and sweets. And there actually is value in learning how to deny oneself earthly pleasures. 
self-control is not something to ever think trivially, uh, trivially about. Just ask anyone who has to face the material addictions of drugs, alcohol, sex, money, food, or anything else on a daily basis. We are all, we are all at a fraction from the edge of self-control. And if you plan on fasting, may it be on something truly difficult that helps you embrace humility and compassion. But whatever practice you do for Lent, fast or otherwise, it should be something that truly forces you into a posture of spiritual conscience. But what is this spiritual conscience that Peter's talking about? Well, so let's talk context, right? First Peter was written at some point after Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, and yet before um, Paul is brought to Rome in prison, right? We know this because Paul doesn't address Peter in his letter to the Romans, uh, and Peter doesn't mention Paul as being there with him from Rome. And this is important because it, it really illustrates just how mobile right, everyone is in ministry at that time. This is a time when the disciples are really traveling the known world to shape Christians into disciples at a time when Christians were violently persecuted by the Romans. Case in point, Peter himself dies in Rome by Emperor Nero, crucified upside down. Anyway, okay, so Peter is writing to Gentile Christians, not gentle Christians, Gentile Christians. Christians who never started out as Jews, uh, but were pagans first. And he's writing to about five cities in Asia Minor, and his letter is a fascinating one. It's fascinating because almost every single verse in 1 Peter can be read as a parallel passage from another New Testament work. For example, chapter 3, verse 18, uh, is paralleled in Romans 6.10, Ephesians 2.18, uh, and Hebrews 9.28. And verse 22 is paralleled in Ephesians 1.20-22 and Colossians 2.15. The spiritual wisdom of Peter is echoed throughout Scripture. And the goal of Peter's letter is to get Christians to live a life and behave in ways that they already know they should. Peter's letter is not new teaching. It's a tune-up. It's a, hey, remember this. And, and the this that Peter wants us to remember is that here you are as baptized Christians and that you are washed clean and pure, that you have already been made anew and that your actions should reflect and be reflecting that truth. John the Baptist says, less of me and more of him, right? So the question of what should your boot camp experience be for Lent? Well, it's gonna be a little bit different for each of you. Take some time and do a personal check-in. What, what's missing? What is being called for you in your life to help you get back to that baptismal promise with Jesus? You know, every hero's story, every story that we find ourselves watching 
a normal person becomes a great hero. There is this process where they're transformed by hardship. Harry Potter, for example, went from being just a small boy into the slayer of the Dark Lord, the most powerful dark wizard of all time. There's no way that 11-year-old Harry could have, been, could have beaten a risen Dark Lord, could have beaten that Lord Voldemort that we get back in book four, right? He needed those seven years of Lent in order to come to the moment where the Elder Wand belonged to him and he knew why it belonged to him. Now, it can be a fast. It can be a thing you add. But whatever it is, it must push you. It must test you. And you know it's working because it has to get really hard to follow. For Harry, he had to choose between hallows and horcruxes. In that last book, he had to decide whether or not to go to Dumbledore's grave and get the hallow or go and get a horcrux. In the end, because he chose the right choice, he actually ended up with both. But it was because he didn't let temptation beat him. Whatever you choose for Lent must be something that really, really tests you that really tempts you. And you know if it has, you've chosen the right thing. Because just like Harry, in order to become a true slayer of the Dark Lord, we need to be stretched. Jesus knew that in the wilderness. Peter knew that in his writings and his wisdom. Peter's point is that we don't do it alone. That God is already with us. Since our baptism, God has been with us to help us do this. So don't be afraid to push back against temptation. Don't be afraid of temptation and frustration and hardship. You are strong enough, Peter says. God's strength, God's strength that washed away all the world clean in the time of Noah, that was given to you at your baptism. So this Lent, Choose something. Something that pushes you the way Harry was pushed. Knowing that God is there when it gets really hard. Knowing that, getting really, that, that the getting really hard part will happen. And that maybe you need to choose something else if it doesn't, right? Because you know this is your spiritual, your spiritual boot camp. Right? That Lent is this time for you to be in this pressure cooker of hero creation. May these 40 days be for you something powerful and transformational. May you have comfort in the trying times and strength in the uneasy ones. May you become agile and able. And may God have mercy. I just want to end with this anecdote that if you've ever made bread, you know that one of the most, if not most important parts about it is the kneading process. And in that kneading process, the gluten 
starts to work in with the dough so that it gains that elasticity. It gains that strength so that when the baking happens, the bread really forms. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Good Theology. To learn more, please find us online at goodtheology.life.